Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep needs. Today on the podcast, I had the privilege of talking to Dr. Cynthia Davis, Mississippi River District Superintendent. Dr. Davis served as a nurse for 24 years and later as a nursing instructor. For almost half of her nursing career, she also served as a bivocational pastor. She is a lifelong learner, and in 2005, she received her Doctor of Ministry degree with her dissertation focusing on the Black Church and public health. So you guys, we talk about a lot of things in this conversation. We talk about her sense of calling from the time she was a child, her work as a nurse and pastor, and the relationship that she sees between faith, health, and wholeness of the body, mind, and spirit. Let's listen. So, Dr. Davis, I am so glad to be here with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be with you on today. Yeah, yeah, it's a real pleasure. You spoke in chapel a couple couple of weeks ago now, and so I'm just glad that we get to spend this time together. As I was thinking about this before we got started, um, I noticed that you had a demon degree, and so you are Dr. Davis. You spent 24 years as a registered nurse. And so I just, I mean, I guess I just found it interesting that your doctorate degree was in the field of theology rather than medicine. Do you find that interesting as well? It is interesting. Even as a child, I felt called to help people. And um, whenever people were sick or in distress or whatever, emotionally, it was like I was intuitive. I could always kind of tell people's moods. So I knew how to approach them or the Holy Spirit would give me what to say. So I started very early as a child looking at the mind, the body and the spirit. And when I was in the fourth grade and I went to our church, there was a nun in the pulpit. The very first time I'd ever seen a woman in the pulpit, and I remember so clearly the Lord saying, this is where you will be. So initially, I thought I was supposed to be a nun. So uh, (laughs) I've gone from nursing and nurses at the time that I was capped, you had on something that looked like a habit. So with the apron, yes. And so um, the D-man, I think, is where God was leading me to open some doors for me to be able to speak to be people about the connection between mind, body, and spirit. Yes, definitely. So you knew as early as the fourth grade that you were supposed to be in the field of medicine. Did you know know nursing at that time? Like, what did you think that was going to look like? When I was about five, I knew that I wanted to be a nurse. Because I felt called to help people get better. So in the fifth, when I was five, I knew that I wanted to be a nurse. But by the time I was in the fourth grade, um, seeing a nun in a habit, I was thinking I was supposed to be a nun, but it turned out to be a nurse. Uh, But I never thought about being a pastor Mm -hmm. in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. So they all kind of came together. Yeah. Tell me how you're calling worked together because you spent 24 years as a nurse. You served in a wide variety of areas of nursing from like 
trauma, the burn unit, ICU, like really intense places. I mean, I don't think there's any area of nursing that you can phone it in, but certainly in the areas (laughs) that you worked, you had to bring your A game every day. And then for half of that time, if I did my math right, you were also serving as a pastor. How did those two come together and how did you do it all? Um, wow. Well, I was an ICU nurse and uh, I worked full time uh, teaching and then I worked part time um, in the trauma unit. And uh, my brother was a pastor and I was the youth minister. So I had an opportunity to work with children all the time. And I had an opportunity to do pastoral visits because he couldn't always make the visits. And so I told the Lord, if this is what you want me to do, this is just great. I'm just loving this. Uh, I was okay to be second in the second chair, but then it was like the Lord called me to go on and uh, preach and to pastor and to take care of his sheep. And on July 31st, 1992, I know the exact day. I know where I was when the Lord said, go teach and preach uh, my gospel. And so that's what I've been doing since. Yeah. When you talk about calling and you talk about hearing from God, we all hear I think we all hear differently because we're all different. He relates to all of us differently. How do you hear from God so that you knew this was this was what you were supposed to do? I clearly heard very audibly, go teach and preach my gospel, okay. very audible. And I said, Lord, if it be you, then allow the Holy Spirit to come upon me. So literally, it was like I was standing in the middle of the ocean and huge waves started washing over me three times, one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. And I knew immediately. And um, after that, there were just all kinds of spiritual Holy Spirit kinds of things that happened that just confirmed that in so many different ways. And uh, on August the 30th, I preached my very first sermon. Wow. Wow. So how did it work with being a nurse and preaching? And pa- Were you a pastor? or Because I've, I've come to understand there's a difference between uh, preaching every once in a while and pastoring. Like, <laughs> well, I was preaching every once in a while. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I had acknowledged my call, but had not gone through and completed the process to become a pastor. And so I was still doing my critical care nursing. And literally, I could walk down the hall and the Holy Spirit would say, go in that room and lay hands on that person. And so I would just walk in and touch somebody's foot and just talk to them. and. Um, they would say something that indicated that they needed prayer or they needed someone to talk to. So while I was a nurse, I definitely felt the power of the spirit in my calling as a nurse. And I believe that I was called as a nurse as well as called as a pastor. And I was also called as a college counselor. So everything was a very clear call from God. Mm-hmm. I like how you said when you were a child, you knew you were called to help people because I was talking to somebody else recently about calling and he said, my calling is X, Y, and Z, but it's not tied to a specific career. Would you, it sounds like you would agree with that. Yes. Um, God calls us every day. 
So every day you're called to do something, whether it's to write a letter or send a text or make a phone call, you're called to do something for someone else. And so I was called as a child and knew that I was called. I knew that I had a relationship with the Lord and I felt like I was his special favorite child (laughs) and that we just had this very special relationship. And so uh, I've always, like some people say, well, I know that I was saved on this day. I feel like I've always known God. I've not ever had a period in my life where I didn't know the Lord. So um, those callings just kept coming. Yeah, it sounds, I'm really amazed at you knew you were called so young. I know we've, like I've said this over and over, but um, just that you knew the voice of the Lord when you were so young. I mean, because sometimes there's nothing wrong with this way either, but it takes us a while to learn to hear the voice of God. Like when you were, I'll ask this question. I think we can move on from calling, but um, how did you, how did you know it was God when you were a child? Um, My grandfather was a pastor. My father missed his call as a pastor, but he's a great biblical theologian. Um, So I've always had a relationship I've always just known. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt the power of the Spirit. When I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was, I was surrounded and enveloped by the Spirit and knew it was the Spirit and knew that I was in God's presence. And so when I heard the voice of God, I knew it was God. I I wasn't deceived thinking, oh, I'm hearing voices or uh, that's not God. I knew very clearly, very distinctly that it was God. Yeah. I think sometimes it may be easier as a child when we're like more innocent and, you know, like, no, you know, just are like, this is God. Yeah. So then you went on to be a nurse and you talked about and you've done a lot of work in the area of the relationship between body, mind and spirit. What what do you see as that relationship? We are not three separate people in one. We're one integrated being or body. And if something is wrong with one area, something is wrong with all the other areas. And sometimes when we have spiritual distress or emotional distress, it may play out in our physical bodies. And there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks about things that happen to your body, how your body remembers, even if your mind does not remember because your body keeps the score. And so you can't be totally whole, totally healed, unless all of those parts are integrated and kind of working in sync. Because if one part is off, it's like a three-legged stool. If something happens to one, you're going to topple over. What do you see as the relationship between healing our bodies and healing our souls? Because you've had experience being actively involved in doing both. I think part of my experience has also been um, seeing so many people who are so wounded 
and it relates to spiritual experiences or Mm -hmm. emotional experiences or something that someone said to them as a child, something that someone did to them, and then how those manifestations come out as an adult, how Mm -hmm. it manifests in their self-esteem or their self-worth, and how people will do things to harm themselves, not intentionally thinking they're harming themselves, but years later they'll realize my body is the temple of the Lord, and I did some things with my body that... um, were harmful. And so because they were broken spiritually or mentally or emotionally, then things happen with their body. And so, or the reverse is true. If something happened to the body that they were not able to get over or to get through, then it would manifest in emotional or spiritual ways. So you can't disconnect one from the other. Um, If the body is healed. Say you have a wound and you he- the wound is healed. But if it's a spiritual or an emotional wound, healing that part on the outside is fine. But if that inside is not healed, there'll be another manifestation. So whether it's headaches or backaches or chest pain or all, uh, constipation, I mean, just all kinds of things happen to the body if the mind is not settled and at peace. So I feel like I could be wrong about this, but I feel like healing the body sometimes is easier maybe than healing the spirit and the emotions. Um, But how can, but all can be healed, obviously. Yes. How do we, how do we get to the root of, of healing in our, in our spiritual life, in our emotional life, and I guess in our bodies too. But I feel like not to minimize the body, but I feel like if you have a cut on your hand, you know what to do with that. For me, I struggle knowing what to do with things on the inside and And not even realizing. Yeah. You're exactly right. It's uh, easier to heal a wound. You can have a CAT scan or an x-ray or some lab work and you see what the issue is. And then there are treatment modalities that can fix that or solve that or heal that. But what happens in the spirit can be so deep. I think sometimes people are reluctant to talk with someone like a therapist or a counselor. And so I'm always saying, I know a great person you can have a conversation with. And so just changing the language so that people don't feel like they are, quote, sick or mentally ill or stressed out or anything that you want to call it. A lot of times people don't like to deal with things related to the mind or the spirit because they see it as a weakness, as a character flaw, instead of saying, you know, um, Elijah got depressed and he sat up under a broom tree and that people, and Jesus was in Gethsemane and he was mournful and sorrowful, I mean, and sad. And I think sometimes we forget that we are human and it's okay to have those emotions and that sometimes it's really okay to have a conversation with somebody about how you're feeling. And it's good to have conversations with friends But people who are specifically trained, um, they've gone to school, they've done internships, they have experience in working with the mind and the spirit. I think they will um, 
have a better way to ask questions of you that you haven't thought about, uh, deep probing questions. And sometimes talk therapy is just so helpful because you don't know what's on the inside until someone asks the right question to get you to thinking about, oh, I never thought of it that way, or, oh, I forgot about that experience, or, oh, you reminded me that when I was a child, this happened to me, and I'm just now remembering it. Mm -hmm. So having someone to talk with who can get help you get to the root of what has caused your distress or dis-ease, dis and ease, so that you're not easy in your own skin. Mm-hmm. How do you know when it might be when something is amiss in your body and and your spirit and your your mind? Because you said sometimes uh, we get to adulthood and suddenly we realize we're not fine. How do we how do we know? Hopefully, you or anyone has a good friend that can see and say you don't seem to be yourself or you seem to be angry a lot or you seem to be sad or um, you that joy that you used to have or I'm just seeing something different in you. So sometimes having friends or colleagues to notice might be an indication that something's not right. If your eating habits change, uh, your sleeping habits change, if you notice that uh, your joy is gone, those are just little hints to you that maybe something is not right. And then when someone verifies it or asks you a question, are you okay? And when you find a lot of people saying, are you okay? Then maybe people are seeing something that you can't see. And so I thank God for friends. I thank God for covenant groups. I thank God for relationships. So whether people are in small groups or Sunday school groups or Bible study groups or girlfriend groups or whatever kind of groups, even sports, somebody will notice that something is awry if something is going on with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my husband is a good sounding board for me <laughs> in, a, in a good way because he's like, hmm, you don't seem like you're the best version of you and you've seen that way for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe we need to explore that a little yes, bit. Yes, yes. Um, one of the things you mentioned in your chapel message is the power of naming things. Yes. And I think the direction we're going is heading right into that. Um, what have you seen in both your career as a nurse and as a pastor? And you also have a degree in counseling too, I believe. Mm-hmm. What have you seen to be the power of naming things? When something is vague and it's out there, it's nebulous and it doesn't have a name, you can't identify it. For example, if you have a diagnosis from a doctor, there is a specific treatment protocol for that disease. If you have a mental health disorder, there is a specific medication and therapy that would go with that. So you have to name what it is in order for it to be treated. It's good to have a name 
of what we believe in and what we have faith in so that when something happens, you don't say, oh, woe is me. You have faith. And so you call on the one in whom you have faith in. And when you have friends and family, you'll say, I need you to pray for me. And so you want them to pray in the name of Jesus because you believe there is healing in the name. And it's like I said in the chapel story with uh, Peter and John, they didn't have silver and gold, but they said to the man who was laying down in the name of Jesus, get up. And he got up leaping and jumping for joy. And so when we name Jesus as the source of our healing, and I think sometimes people take it to the extreme and say, well, I'm just going to pray about it and I'm not going to do anything. So I want people to very clearly hear me say, Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, there are medicines and there are treatments and there are therapies that were created for our good. Mm -hmm. And so you pray and go to the doctor. If you have high blood pressure, you don't not take your medicine because you say, well, I'm just going to trust Jesus. You don't get a diagnosis of cancer and say, well, I'm just going to trust Jesus. Trust Jesus, but go to the doctor. Trust Jesus, but take your medication. Right. They they work in conjunction. Yes, they do. Yes, Yes, they do. Yes. And as we think about our spiritual healing for a minute, one of the things I want to talk about is naming naming the lies, naming the hurts that maybe we've experienced mm-hmm. from our childhood or past um, experience with experiences with church or people mm-hmm. in the church. How do we how do we learn to name those lies or um, or kind of maybe setbacks, I guess I'll call them too, that keep us from fully embracing or being embraced by God's love? Sometimes people are told things, and I don't think people mean to always do it in a hurtful way that's going to break someone's spirit, but it does. So um, they may compare them to someone else. Uh, Oh, your friend Susie is so smart. You know, maybe one day you'll be like Susie or Susie uh, is so pretty. You know, maybe if you could do your hair like this, you could be like Susie or, oh, Susie is so slender. And, you know, if you could just go on a diet and lose about 10 pounds, you would be as slim as. So people say things and they probably mean well, they want to be helpful, but what they don't realize is that that one statement to a child is so influential that they take, I'm not good enough with them for the rest of their lives. They're always striving to be good enough, or I will never be good enough So there's no point in me trying because from a child, everyone was trying to get me to be who I was not. And I know that I'm who God created me to be, but apparently no one thinks that's good enough. God must have made a mistake with me. Mm -hmm. And I think people fail to realize that for children, they hold on to every word that you say and their self-esteem is so tied into just simple compliments or uncompliments. And they take that and they make that a part of who they are for the rest of their lives. I've known people in their 40s and 50s and 60s 
who are still living out something that someone told them when they were 10 because they didn't feel like they were good enough and they never got the help that they needed. And so they've gone on with a lie that you're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. And that, you know, maybe God loves you as you are, but you can be so much better than you are kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of struggle with, um, we have to work hard to, to be good enough, to earn approval to, and there is good in that. Like there is some, some good in that, but there's also the, the, the tie into, well, I messed up in whatever area. So therefore I am a terrible person. And then the, the cycle, the cycle starts. So, so we have to move past that. What is the relationship between, um, I mean, if we, if we realize we have, a a problem in our mind, body, or spirit. Like, what do we, what do we then do? Like, um, do we see our pastor, a counselor, and a medical doctor? Like, what, what would you recommend? If you have a physical ailment, I would always say go to a medical doctor. If um, your medical doctor recommends a counselor or a therapist, then I would go to that person. If you go to your pastor and pastors refer when it is outside of their realm of expertise. So you go to a pastor and you talk about these deep seated, deep rooted issues that may just be totally out of their realm. And so they should have resources that they refer people to as well. I so regret that so many people hurt in so many ways based on things that people have said and done to them. And they live the rest of their lives as broken people. And I know that we all walk with the limp. I know that we all have something that we deal with or struggle with. But sometimes we just have enough. And then we get an extra load or an extra dose of something that can become overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And my prayer is that people would recognize that all is not well and to seek resources. Um, So most people trust their clergy person. So I would say always start with your clergy person. And they might even say, well, have you gone to your physician? Um, You know, maybe it could be lab work that's out of whack or something like that. So at least start with the physician and see if there is a medical problem that's wrong. Definitely. Have you noticed a difference in, in people? I mean, um, I'm trying to think of how to word this question too, but like um, coming from your background as a nurse and now as a pastor, what have you seen? How have you seen the pandemic affect those in your, in your congregation and you're a district superintendent. So there's a lot of churches that you're over. How, how has this affected people and their, and their brokenness now? There is not a place that you can go in this country where the pandemic has not affected someone. So if it wasn't you or someone in your household, you know someone whose life has been affected as a result of the pandemic. You know someone who's lost their job. You know of a restaurant that's closed. You know of someone who was in the hospital, someone who died. Um, you know of a friend or a neighbor or uh, somebody in the next community or someone in another church. We all know someone. And I think it's caused a lot of sadness and depression and stress and anxiety. 
And um, I think people have done the best they could, but I think we still need more. And I think people are asking for more. I think there's more calls for people to have someone that they can talk to, especially our children. Um, we've seen so many of our children who have just struggled and not been able to handle school, so many children who are depressed, but they don't know it's called depression. Parents who don't know anything about depression don't know that it's depression. They just know that their children are different and they know that they're different. They know that they're struggling with their own anger. Why am I so angry? They know that they're struggling with their anxiety. They're just anxious about everything. Um, so I've seen it go from people being very, very, very concerned, thinking that they might die, to people saying, oh, it's nothing but the flu. You'll be fine. You don't, people don't need to do all of that. So from one extreme to the other. And then, of course, all of those in the middle. So it has um, negatively affected people because people have fallen out in their relationships. So the people who don't want to wear a mask, and the people who say, I've got to wear a mask because I have a life-threatening illness. And so then they say to the person who doesn't want to wear a mask, you must not love me as love thy neighbor as thyself because you won't wear a mask so that I can come to church too. So people have kind of fallen out, even in churches, uh, pastors and membership have fallen out because the pastor may say to do one thing, the congregation may say to do something else. And so pastors and it's it's just been it's just been hard on everybody it really has and as we as we're starting to maybe see light at the end of the tunnel with with the vaccine and people getting vaccinated whatever people's thoughts are about vaccine Uh anti-vaccine but people are getting vaccinated things are starting to open up again Uh Um, but we still have so maybe as the disease goes away, we still have the relationship uh-huh. issues to deal uh-huh. with. Uh-huh. And I think some relationship issues that I, at least for me personally, I've never had to deal with before in uh-huh. my life. Uh-huh. How do we get on the other side of those issues? How do we find healing when there, as you were saying, there is a wide, a uh-huh. wide chasm? Um. So I think this also reflects on how we have been politically over this past several years. You have people on both ends of the extremes, and then you have people in the middle. And so family members have fallen out over who they were going to vote for or what they believe about the election. And so the vaccine is just one other thing to add to all of that. Um, What I would say is um, love your neighbor. Um, the only thing we can do is love. I can love you and disagree with you. And I think that has been the issue for so many people. It's like either you agree with me and love me or you don't agree with me and you don't love me. So somehow people have equated, if you disagree with what I believe, then you must not love me, like me, want to be in relationship with me. And that's not the case at all. You should be able to love one another, even if you are diametrically opposed in your understanding, theologically or politically. But somehow people have equated my getting along or being in relationship with you is related to whether or not you agree with me or not. Mm -hmm. And we've missed the boat on that. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. How do we disagree and love at the same time? Um, if people have not ever had that experience, I think it would be difficult. But I think as Christians, um, we've got to look at the Word of God. I mean, it's just so clear. People will know that you are my disciples by your love. And so if you wanted to be counted Christian after Christ, then people need to know you by your love, not about your disagreement, about your anger, about your vitriol, and to say, well, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus, but I'm not going to wear a mask and I don't care if you don't come to church. You know, that's not love. It's like, if you go to a Walmart, if you go to a Kroger, if you go to a doctor's office, mask required to enter. These are people that you don't even know. So the people that you do know and that you say you love, it would just make, to me, more sense that you would wear a mask for one hour for the people that you are in relationship with. But that's my opinion. And there are people who will not agree with that. All I'm saying is as a nurse and with my degree focus being public health, um, I'm going from the science side, but I'm also going from the love side and God is love is that I love you enough that I'm going to make a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'm glad you brought up your degree in public health because I wanted to talk about your dissertation um, (laughs) a little bit too. Um, So you did your, I'm fascinated by your dissertation. Um, The title of it is Promoting Healthy Dietary Lifestyles to Prevent Obesity in African-American Adolescents. Um, Why did you choose to study this particular topic? So this is going to be kind of off um, sort of kind of what we're talking about. Um, there is something called Han. It is a Korean concept of generational trauma. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that there is generational trauma in the African American community from being, um, um, viciously taken from Africa to, Uh, the Middle Passage and the way um, the African nations of people were um, stuffed in the bottom of ships and all the horrible things that happened to them. And then when they got to this country, all the horrible things that happened. So I believe that because of generational trauma that is passed on, that People do things in order to survive the stress and the trauma of racism and that um, what people might not understand is that racism is kind of like a fog. So you're in it. It's around you all the time. And unless you are the person that um, have racist acts or comments or conversations about you, you're not aware that it is so insidious. So out of that stress of something that is just pervasive in the air that you breathe, you're stressed all the time because it is your environment. And so uh, Dr. Park from United Theological Seminary uh, taught Han 
it made sense to me, the generational trauma. So even in families where there has been generational abuse uh, or other kinds of things, it follows people, even if they don't talk about it. The pain and the trauma is inside of the body because the body keeps the score. And so uh, my thesis was that the reason there was so much obesity in the African-American community was because we were holding in, taking in the stress of the environment of just trying to live and to survive and to provide for and to have a voice and to have a place and that we needed to recognize that children were experiencing that. So one of the ways uh, with the dissertation was to talk about healthy eating and not eating when you're hungry. And so at their level to just talk about what it looked like to prepare healthy meals and not eating fast food and, and all of that, not so much getting into the psychological and the spiritual part because they were children, um, but also looking at how what they learned influenced their parents. So we looked at what they learned in the Bible studies that I did for them impacted their parents' ability and willingness to change their eating habits so that the family then began to eat healthy foods, cut back or eliminate fast food so that they could live and not die and be able to declare the glory of the Lord. That's Fascinating. So tell me a little bit more how you set up this study with the Bible studies. How did that relate to eating? So um, as a nurse, (laughs) I actually brought mannequins to class and used scripture and, you know, just talked about diseases of the body related to affluenza, overeating and obesity, and talked about healthy portions and how to prepare healthy meals and just even the saturated fats in the fast foods and things like that, able to show blood vessels with uh, plaque and uh, what it looked like to have a heart attack by seeing all the plaque in the coronary arteries or the plaque in the uh, vessels in the neck going to the brain, you know, that a person would have a stroke. So they were actually able to see, and I would draw pictures on the board and show the plaque in the vessel. I'd bring mannequins and talk about amputations from diabetes. So all kinds of health-related things that they would have been maybe accustomed to uh, seeing in the church, people having hypertension, people always talking about their blood pressure, what they couldn't eat, people talking about their sugar, uh, meaning their diabetes and people having amputations and explaining the relationship that all of those things had in common. And then to talk about in Genesis, what God created for us to eat and that it was good for us. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Can you tell me a story about how you saw a, a child or a family kind of, because it does go along with what we've been talking about with all the healing, with everything, um, learn to incorporate that healing into their own lives. So part of the post-test was to ask one of the questions, um, tell me how your eating habits changed at home. 
tell me what uh, kinds of meals you've had over the past week, uh, six weeks after versus six weeks before, after going home every week and talking about what you've learned, because there were things for them to take home, to share with their parents about what they were learning and about, again, healthy eating. So not even a diet, but just healthy eating and exercise and uh, stress reduction. How could they, even as children, not stress eat? Because, you know, we start as children doing things and we continue to do those things into adulthood. But when you're stressed, maybe go outside and play versus get a bag of potato chips. So, or have fresh fruit. And so there were things that they learned. And so, yes, um, I did find out that there were families, I think almost every single family, there was a decrease in fast food consumption and an increase in healthy eating. Wow, that's incredible. That's very exciting. Um, And you were also teaching them like with the with learning to grab a piece of fruit or go play, you were to manage their stress eating, teaching the children to manage their emotional health in relationship to their bodies too. Yes. Um, And the thing about children is that they, they want to learn, they want to know, and you want to make it interesting. So you bring all kinds of things and do like a show and tell, and they participate in that. And because it's visual and children tend to be very visual, it was easy for them to see and to understand. And it made sense. So they could get excited about what they were learning and get excited about teaching somebody else. And part of it was, as you learn something, then you teach somebody else something. So they were able to go home and teach their parents what they were learning. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I'm so fascinated by nutrition and healthy eating and how it all, all plays together. So I find, find this all really interesting. Are you doing anything? Do you have plans for anything with your dissertation moving forward? Any, yeah. And so I've spoken uh, in places across the country, just in different places, different times, being parts of different panels um, where I've talked about health and nutrition and stress. And um, I just and just putting it all together, you know, with the spiritual piece. Um, so I never want to leave out the spiritual when we talk about the emotional and the physical again, because they all go together. If I am emotionally distressed, I'm going to eat. If I'm spiritually distressed, I'm going to eat. But what I need to learn is, is what's eating me. When I figure out what's eating me, then I don't have to eat potato chips or cookies or cake or ice cream. I just need to sit down and say, what's eating me? What am I stressed about? And so sometimes just sitting down, um, part of the way I thrive is to read scripture, just take some time and sit down and be still to listen for a word from the Lord so that I can nourish my spirit by God's word and then sit and listen for what God might speak to me. So I love music and music is something that I have so much joy just listening to music. It's like my spirit just soars. And so I'm a joyful person anyway. And so <laughs> music just makes me even more joyful. So music and um, sitting down and listening for God, reading God's word, reading devotionals, 
hearing what other people have to say. So I listen to a lot of different people in their writings. Uh, so I read several different devotionals each day just to hear and to be open to what the Spirit might be saying through different individuals, not just one person. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. I'm going to take a hard left again because I don't think our conversation would be complete if we didn't talk about your own healing story. So could you, would you share that with us? Absolutely. So I've had several, but I'll talk about the most recent one, which I mentioned in my sermon um, uh, at chapel. On August the 3rd, 2019, I fainted at home ended up going to the hospital and um, they ran every conceivable test on me and could find absolutely nothing wrong. The cardiologist came in and sat at the foot of my bed and said, I think your heart stopped. And I was like, not me. I'm the healthiest person I know. (laughs) I eat right. Right. I exercise. (laughs) I do everything right. (laughs) And he said, I want you to wear this holter monitor for a month. And then we'll see what happens. And of course, me. Well, when there's nothing on it at the end of the month, then what are you going to (laughs) do? Well, on Friday, um, August the 8th, while I was asleep at 5 a.m., I straight-lined. Oh, my goodness. And I straight-lined long enough that my doctor said, there was no CPR given to you. There was no electrical shock given to you. There were no IV medications given to you. The only thing that woke you up was the hand of God. Mm-hmm. And um, so I ended up getting a pacemaker and um, very grateful for that little gadget in my chest. For a while, I just couldn't figure out, number one, why it happened and why he woke me up. Because during that same time, there were several people that I didn't know personally, but people who knew other people who died from going to bed at night and not waking up. So I was one of the few people that I knew about at that time that actually woke up. Oh, wow. So um, I feel like God has something in store for me. There's something I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be a witness and tell that God is still a healer. And I can't explain why some people continue to sleep and why I woke up. I, I can't answer that question. The only person I can talk about is me, is that I'm still here. And I believe that I'm here for a purpose um, to talk about healing, healing emotionally, healing spiritually, healing physically, that God is a healer um, and that prayer does change things. Um, There are all kinds of miraculous stories in my life of God healing a brother who the doctor said had a foot in the grave and went on a banana peel and had metastasis. And when they took him to surgery the next day, there was no cancer. No way. No, No cancer from a CAT scan the day before, metastasis, throughout his body the next day they just kept pulling out lymph nodes and then to the lab and every single one just came back negative whereas before they were all positive so i've just known 
healing personally. My family is now healing. My grandmother uh, told the story when she was alive about um, they had a hard year with the crops. And she said to my grandfather, who was a pastor, we don't need to pay our tithes this year because the children need new shoes. That's my dad. And so um, my grandfather said, no, we're going to give to God what belongs to God. And so they continued to tithe. And that year they brought in the largest crop they ever had. And there was more than enough. So I've just seen what prayer and faith in God will do. And even if I had died, I would have still been in the presence of God. So it was a win-win. Are you, are you really okay with that? Because to me, thinking about dying, I know it's a it's a win kind of I'm not ready to do that yet you know? so, <laughs> so so I sometimes I, I I'm just real curious with you saying because I've heard other people say it lately like whether I live or die I'm okay and I'm like are you really um I don't want to die let me be very clear <laughs> not anytime soon I want yeah. to live I have a 13 year old grandson and one day I'd like to do his wedding you know so I, I want to live <laughs> sure. um uh, I have so much energy. I, I'm, I've written one book that hopefully it'll be out in a couple of months, but I've started oh, on another book and I just feel like God is calling me at this time in my life to write. And so I feel like my life is not over that I have things to do, but so do most people who die, right? Everybody feels mm-hmm. like they have a purpose and something to do. So, um, it, as a pastor, And as a person who, even before I got into ministry, my relationship with the Lord was such that, um, I'll give you an example. When I first started preaching, when I first started preaching, the anointing and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit was so heavy on me that I would preach and literally sweat would be dripping from my hair. My clothes would be soaking wet do an altar call, lay hands on people, and they would get healed at the altar. So after services like that, I would always say, if you're ready to take me, I'm ready to go. Because it was such an awesome experience when the presence of the Lord fills a church and everyone knows that God's presence is there and they all come to the altar to be healed and they leave their feeling and believing that they were healed. They go to their doctor and their doctor is saying your blood pressure is fine or this is better or this is better or that is better because God's presence was there. So there were times that I said, well, if you call me now, I'm ready because the glory of the Lord was just so amazing in that place Uh, that you don't think about leaving family or friends because you know that you're going to see them again one day and that you are literally caught up in the spirit at those times. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. You mentioned your new book. Uh, What is the title and when is it coming out? It's called 40 Conversations with God. 
And it is a book of prayers, um, nothing but just prayers, pastoral prayers that I've prayed uh, at various times um, or some occasional prayers that I've done for various reasons. And so it's all about prayers. But the second book that I've started on is actually about my heart stopping experience. And it comes from a Psalm, um, I think it's 118. Verse 17, I shall live and not die and be able to declare the glory of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So the message Bible says, I didn't die. I lived. So that's going to be the title. I didn't die. I love that. I love that. That's perfect. That's perfect. We will will link the one that is coming out uh, soon in the show notes and mention the second one so that people can be sure to be on the lookout and get copies of both of those. Thank you. Um, We have one question that we ask everyone, but before we wrap up the show, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't talked about already? And I'm just so grateful to be able to share my story and to just talk about what God has done, who God is, uh, that no matter where we are in life, whether we need emotional, spiritual, or physical healing, that God has provided resources in the earth through therapists, counselors, nurses, doctors, friends, uh, to be able to help us medications and therapy and treatment. And so I want people to see the whole realm of healing of God and not just depend on one thing, but to look at the whole spectrum. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, So for our last question, what is one practice, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Uh podcast, Uh what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Um, one thing that I do on a regular basis is fast, fast and pray. Um, Jesus fasted, uh, Moses fasted, Elijah fasted. Um, there were in the book of Esther, they fasted to save a nation. So, um, with Jonah, when they were going to be destroyed, they all fasted, including all the animals. The king said he didn't even want the animals to have any water. So there are so many examples of fasting in scripture. I think for me, fasting and prayer is one of those things that helps me spiritually to thrive and to stay grounded. So reading God's word while I'm fasting, praying, singing, playing music, um, just so that I can be closer and hear a word from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Dr. Davis, thank you so much for being a part of the co- uh, conversation today. It, I have just thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you so very much. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I feel so tremendously blessed just for the invitation. And so, and it was so good to see you face to face too. It was good to see you as well. You are welcome here anytime. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Davis. Isn't she just the best, you guys? I found this entire conversation fascinating and insightful, and I hope it helped you as it helped me take another step toward wholeness. Be sure to be on the lookout for her books. We'll link to those in the show notes and just grab a copy of those. You won't want to miss them. So thanks, Dr. Davis, so much for being on the show today. And as always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.